It is your power that makes us strong, and we ask that you would give us a measure of that through your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. As I've told you in the past, when I was in fifth grade, I had a, a, a very strange fascination with U.S. presidents. I wrote books about them, read books about them, had little presidential action figures. Contradiction in terms, I know, but... I was a freak. And as part of this obsession, I had portraits of all the presidents all around the top of my walls, just underneath the ceiling, going around my room, sort of presidential crown molding. And during the day, this was fine. But at night, all of those presidential eyes staring down at me sometimes kind of creeped me out, especially William McKinley. Don't know why. So when I'd get scared, I'd pray, and I'd say, oh, God... Please protect me from President McKinley. (laughs) Amen. And then I'd put a pillow over my head and dive under the covers to sort of help God out in answering that prayer. Because, after all, God helps those who help themselves. Right? We're starting a new sermon series today called The Book of First Opinions, which is everybody's favorite book in the Bible. All of us, ha- all of our Bibles have 66 books going from Genesis to Revelation, and then all of us add a 67th book. And it's kind of a scrapbook of various opinions that we are just sure in the Bible somewhere, or that at least God agrees with our opinions. And one of the most popular ones you hear is God helps those who help themselves. But it ain't in the Bible anywhere. Not anywhere. And some of us even know that it's in the Bible, but we don't care because we like that saying because it puts the focus on our favorite subject, which is self and our amazing abilities. That's why every bookstore has a self-help section. There's even a magazine called Self Magazine. Just what we need in our culture, right? Self Magazine, because there's just not enough of that going around. I heard of a book the other day called I Believe in Me. There's just something in us that wants to do it on our own. And I think part of that is because then we don't actually have to rely on God and we can be our own boss. But the verses we read from the Bible this morning indicate that God, in fact, does not help those who help themselves, mostly because they don't think they need his help. Instead, God helps those who have the guts to admit that they need his help. And this is true spiritually and theologically, as well as in the practical things of our life. And I want to talk about both. First, from a spiritual, theological perspective, when it comes to saving our souls, it is absolutely not true that God helps those who help themselves. It's the opposite. The verse out of Romans that we read says, while we were powerless, that's the word, powerless, to help ourselves, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The verse out of Ephesians says, We are saved by grace, not by our own efforts, lest anyone should boast. And this is what makes the God that is revealed in Jesus unique. In every other religion, we have to earn our salvation. Do a lot of good deeds, go on a pilgrimage, seek enlightenment, do something to get God to approve of us. Now what all of these religions understand is that there is a holiness gap between us and God. God is perfect, and we're not, and somehow that gap has to be bridged. 
But the problem with trying to bridge that gap with our own efforts is how much is enough? If God is perfectly holy, well, then how many good deeds are enough to bridge the gap between us and God? And it doesn't matter how good we are compared to someone else, right? I mean, it matters how good we are compared to God. I could be standing down here at sea level. You could be up on Mount Rainier. You'd be higher up than me, but you still couldn't touch the stars. No matter how good we are, we're not as good as God. And if we try to reconcile ourselves to God through our own efforts, we're going to always be falling short. But the God that is revealed in Jesus bridges that gap for us. Whatever price had to be paid for, justice, for our sins, for justice to be upheld, Jesus did it for us on the cross. All other religions can be spelled D-O, do. We have to do something to earn God's approval. But Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's been done for us. What we couldn't do on our own, Jesus did on the cross. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. All we can do is receive it. Now, this always raises a question. Does this mean that we don't have to do anything at all as far as our faith is concerned? We can just sort of sit back and let the healing begin because we're not involved? Yes and no. And let me get just a little theological here for a minute and talk about two words that some of you have heard before, justification and sanctification. And there's a difference. Justification is what happens on the cross. And it's more than just being forgiven. It means to have the record of our wrongs erased. If you went out and robbed a 7-Eleven and went to trial and the judge said, we find you guilty, but it's your first offense, so we're going to overlook it, now you're forgiven. But if the judge said, we have no record of you robbing the 7-Eleven, now you're justified. Remember it this way. Justified means just as if I'd never done it. If Jesus is our leader and forgiver, that means that when he died, our sins died with him. And as the Bible says, God remembers our sin no more. And all of that has nothing to do with us. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross. That's justification. But that's just the first step. The next step is sanctification. And sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. And we are involved in that. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us the encouragement and the power to become like Jesus. We can't do it without God, but we need to cooperate with His Spirit by getting to know Him through prayer and Scripture and obeying His commands, responding to those nudges of conscience. God does it, but we have to cooperate. Justification is God saving those who cannot help themselves. Sanctification is us cooperating with God's Spirit to become more like Jesus. And you can't look to one to do for you what only the other can do. You can't look to your justification to sanctify you. It won't. And don't look to your sanctification to justify you. It can't. Instead, simply receive the amazing good news that we don't have to earn God's love and approval. And then cooperate with God's Spirit, not to earn His approval. We've got that. But so that we can become everything He created us to be. And if you've never made Jesus your leader and forgiver, you can do that simply by asking. You could do it today. When it comes to saving our souls, God helps those who can admit that they cannot help themselves. That's the ticket for admission. So that's the theology. But what does that mean practically in our everyday lives? How does this play out day to day? If God helps those who know that they need his help, well, then does that mean, for instance, that 
If we're unemployed, we don't have to look for a job. We can just pray and wait by the phone for it to ring. Or when we're sick, we don't need to go to a doctor. We just wait for God to zap us. Does it mean that we should never try to achieve anything or that we never need to be part of solving our own problems? No, I don't think that's what it means. God gave us minds and skills, and he expects us to use them. Medicine, for instance, is one way, not the only way, but one way that God can cure us. If we need a job, we we ask God to guide us, and then we need to look. But we do those things knowing that even if we're involved in the process of meeting our needs, that ultimately everything we have always comes from God, even the things we think we've achieved on our own. The Bible says that it's God who gives us the ability to do anything at all. You know, if you have certain skills or mental abilities that have helped you achieve what you've achieved, that wasn't your call. All of those things were gifts from God. We are not self-created. God made all of us. And it's always God that provides everything for us, even when we're involved in the process. This week, I heard about a businessman who was leaving on a two-week trip, and right before he left, he prayed with his wife, and he said, you know, Lord, please protect my wife and kids while I'm gone. When, she, when he finished, his wife looked at him and said, thanks for the prayer, dear, that was nice, but who do you think protects us when you're here? Because it ain't you. It's always God. No matter what we have, it's always God that has given it to us. And living with that understanding that it is ultimately always up to God makes our life richer in two ways. And the first is this. When we understand it's up to God, we can let go of the things that we cannot control. One of the ways that God helps those who help themselves philosophy just wrecks our lives is that it makes us believe that we should be able to fix any problem or achieve anything if we just try hard enough. And that creates a lot of anxiety as we frantically try to control every aspect of our lives. And ultimately, we can't control that much. We're not nearly as in control as we think we are. And the recent uh, power outage showed that big time, didn't it? A friend of mine was telling me that he was at the Bellevue Athletic Club during the power outage, and the club had electricity, but he said there was all this tension as competent, got-it-together Bellevueans were all fighting for power outlets so they could charge their cell phones. Oh, that is just so Bellevue, isn't it? I mean, now, mind you, I'd have done the same thing if I'd been there, but very east side. And that's all it took, right? A couple of days without electricity and the thin veneer that is east side civilization crumbles. And we're left groveling for power outlets. In spite of what our culture tells us, we are not as in control of things as we think we are. We can't control what other people do. We can't control the economy. And none of us can stop our death from coming. We are not in control. And the sooner we make friends with that little fact, the more peace we're going to have in life. Now, the Bible does say that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and that is true. But the salient point there would be through Christ who strengthens us, not through us who strengthens us. And the more we understand that, the more peace we have. I read a book a long time ago, very helpful to me, called Necessary Losses. And the premise of the book is that childhood is usually about unlimited horizons, but that adulthood is about loss and limits. Maybe we don't get the job we want, or maybe we don't get married when we want to, or maybe we do get married and it doesn't solve all our problems and we're shocked about that. 
And as we grow older, we lose loved ones to death or our health starts to decline and eventually we die. There's a lot of loss and limits. And how good we are as adults is going to depend on how good we are at being able to negotiate loss and limits. Cheery little book, huh? But there's hope in it. Because the spiritual outcome of understanding our limits is that we realize that we are the creature, not the creator. And that's the beginning of peace and joy. Now, I want to be clear. I am not saying, I am not saying that we should just give in and give up in despair whenever we face a limit. You know, oh, I'm whooped. And I'm certainly not saying that we shouldn't try to achieve. We should apply ourselves to our jobs, schools, sports, everything. What I am saying is we all need to apply and live out the serenity prayer. Remember that? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That is a great prayer. We need to learn what things in life are doors that we can walk through and what things are walls and their limits. And if it's a door, we need to push, even if it's stuck, push until we can walk through. And if it's a wall, we can bang our fists against it all we want. It ain't ever going to be a door. And we need to have the serenity to accept the walls, courage to walk through the doors, and the wisdom to know the difference. And only Jesus can give it to us. But when he does, we find peace. I have a friend who was a Stanford grad, very high achiever. But there was this woman in his life, his girlfriend, and the relationship was a disaster. And he tried to control her, tried to get her to love him, tried to get her to stop doing the hurtful behavior she was doing. But it was a wall and was never going to be a door. And finally, in the end, he just let it go. And I remember one tearful conversation I had with him when he had finally said to God, God, I can't do this anymore. Your will be done, not mine. Jesus, take the wheel. And after he prayed that, he said to me with this huge sigh of relief and peace in his voice, he said, I guess the world is not my clay to mold. What a wise statement. The world is not our clay to mold, but rather we are God's clay and he molds us. And realizing that means we can let go of the things that we can't control and trust them to God and that brings peace. Which brings me to a second way that living as though it's all up to God, not to us, makes our life richer. And that is that when we understand that God helps those who admit their need for him, we can get on track with God's plan for our lives rather than our plan. And between the two plans, guess which one's better? The rhetorical question. You know, one of the problems with the God helps those who help themselves philosophy is guess who that puts in charge of our lives? Us. But we can really mess up things if we try to help God help us, can't we? But when we lean not on our own understanding, but give our problems as well as our dreams to God and let him deal with them, our lives are richer and more joyful. Back when I was doing college ministry, we always had an annual winter retreat. And one year I'd, I'd booked this really great speaker for this retreat. But the day before the retreat, he called up and said that he was super sick and there was no way that he could come. We had over 100 students signed up for this retreat. They were looking forward to a great speaker, and, and I felt a lot of anxiety. So I got my staff together and whipped them into a frenzy of fear that we didn't have a speaker. And I said, we've got to figure this out. And I, I mean, I think I might have shot up a help me, Jesus, amen kind of a prayer. But I wasn't really listening to Jesus. I was going to help him help me. 
So we started planning and brainstorming, and we came up with all kinds of great ideas, you know, put together a video, have some cool games, you know, create some really great activities, and we were just getting in the zone. We were just really getting just on fire until this intern, this pesky intern that I had, decided to get all spiritual on me, and he said, well, why don't we pray about it? And I don't know, I think I might have actually said out loud, we don't have time for that. I mean, I hope not, but I, I might have. And, and so I said, okay, okay, I'll pray. Let's go. And he said, no, 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 no. Let's really pray about it. All right. So we took about 30 minutes and we prayed and we sat and silenced and we, and we listened. And, and we really said, God, this is your problem. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Well, when we were done, one of the other interns said, hey, I had this idea while we were praying. What if instead of a speaker or some slick program, what if we just read passages from the Bible, sang and worshipped and had communion together? You know, as if the Bible and God's presence would be enough. Right? I mean, what was he thinking? And so I thought, well, okay, we don't have anything to lose, so we tried it. It was hands down, not even a close second, the best retreat we ever did. We had a long 90-minute time of prayer and communion, Students were get, getting up and going over to people they'd been mad at for years and reconciling with them. We had students confessing sin and brokenness they'd never shared with anyone else. Students on the fence about being Christians, really engaging with God, all with no fancy speaker, no program, as if God could do it all on his own. Now, we were still involved. We read the scriptures. I did the communion service. Our worship leader led the songs. God involved us, but it was clear that he was doing it Not us. We just got to be a part. It felt like we were sailing. We hoisted the sails, but the power that was moving us along was God's Spirit. My first instinct was to try to fix it myself. But that led to a lot of stress, fear, and a really bad plan. But when that intern gave me better theology, and we gave it to God, we had more peace, and he did a really cool thing with it. God helps those who know they need him and have the courage to admit it and turn to him for help. There's a certain spot on Fifth Avenue in New York City where there's there's this huge statue of Atlas and he's carrying this giant world on his back. And right across the street from that statue is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And in the cathedral there's a statue of Jesus and he's balancing the world on one little finger. That is a great image of two different ways to live life. We can live life as if it's all up to us and the whole world is on our back. Or we can give our problems as well as our dreams and achievements to Jesus, knowing that it's all up to him. So this week, if you haven't done it already, will you turn to Jesus and will you say, Hey, I can't bridge this holiness gap between me and God. Jesus, would you do it for me? And then let's all of us cast our cares on him. And lean on him for the solutions to our problems, knowing that his plan is always better. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's let's pray. Maybe you've never had a chance to make Jesus your leader and forgiver, and if that's the case and you want to do that, I'd like you just to pray with me silently in your heart this prayer. Lord Jesus, I cannot bridge the gap between me and God. Please be my leader and forgiver. And bridge that gap for me.
And if you prayed that prayer, now you're a Christian. And for the rest of us, Lord, we we cast our cares on you. And we ask that you would give us the peace to accept what we can't change, courage to change what we can, and Lord, give us the wisdom to know the difference. And we'll give you the glory. Amen.